Uh, So with that, I will invite you to turn to John chapter 16. Our passage this morning begins actually halfway through verse 4, and that is where I will start reading John 16, uh, 4b through verse 15. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word for His glory and for our edification this morning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, The Holy Spirit is one of those subjects that many of us feel uneasy about in uh, our Christian lives. We, We know things about the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've been in church a long time or all of our lives. We've heard sermons about the Holy Spirit, we've sung songs about the Holy Spirit, but at the end of the day we feel we don't really know what the Holy Spirit does, or maybe just that He's not operative in our lives the way that we would like Him to be. Uh, We also, I think, like doctrines that we can fully explain and completely articulate, and talking about the Spirit takes us to a place that is mysterious and is beyond what we can grasp. And in the upper room discourse that we have been studying, Jesus talks a lot about the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. He is preparing his disciples for his departure, and the Spirit is central to what life after his departure will be like. And I just want to look at three things this morning from the verses before us. And one is the coming of the Spirit. Uh, The second is the Spirit's ministry to the world. And then the third is the Spirit's ministry to Jesus' disciples. So the passage begins in verse 4b where Jesus says, I did not say these things from the beginning. Uh, So Jesus did not begin his ministry recruiting disciples by telling them he would be killed and they would be persecuted. That's not a great sales pitch right there. Uh, He taught about, uh, he taught very progressively about that. He revealed his 
person, the nature of his kingdom. And yet in the upper room discourse on the night before his own crucifixion, he has told them the hard truths plainly. Uh, And in verse 5, Jesus says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? Which is a little odd, because both Peter and Thomas have asked the question in previous chapters, Lord, where are you going? Lord, we don't know where you are going. Uh, If you think that uh, the two of us are going out for ice cream, and then I tell you, uh, I have to go somewhere, and you say, where are you going? You are not actually interested in my future. You are dismayed about your future, that you are not going to get ice cream. Uh, You are not asking about my destination. You are expressing your disappointment. Uh, And you are thinking not about me, but about how this affects you. And this is what's going on with the disciples. If you look at the very next verse, in verse 6, Jesus says, Sorrow has filled your hearts. Uh, Jesus, by the way, knows the hearts of the people that he is leading. He knows their hearts are sad. And when he says, no one asks me where I am going, here's what he's saying. He's saying to the disciples, you are thinking more about your troubles than the goal of my journey. You are more concerned about your security and your sadness than what I am about to accomplish in this journey that I am making back to the Father. And if they understood what Jesus' going meant, they would not be sad and they would be asking different questions. And so Jesus says something surprising to his disciples. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away, right? How could Jesus be, how could Jesus leaving possibly be a good thing? And Jesus says in uh, verse 7, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Uh, Think about how important the Spirit's ministry must be for Jesus to say that. It's to your advantage that I go away. Uh, So the departure of Jesus is not a bereavement. It's part of a greater blessing. And Jesus says that the presence of the Spirit is in a way an improvement upon his own earthly presence. Uh, Which, by the way, makes me think of that resurrection encounter between Jesus and Mary in the garden uh, where Mary wants to lay hold of Jesus and Jesus says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, which implies we can cling to him in a deeper way when he does ascend to the Father. Uh, That there's a greater experience of Jesus somehow after his suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, which happens by the ministry of the Spirit. So we've said in previous sermons, the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in your life. John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus going away is actually his coming to us by the Spirit. So that's something that's untrue of any other person in your life. When someone else that we love leaves, 
they belong to the past. And all we have is the memory. When Jesus leaves, he sends the living spirit to communicate his presence and power. So the very thing that saddens the disciples, Jesus says, is for their benefit, which makes me wonder if much of our sadness as disciples of Jesus is short-sighted. Uh, sadnesses and grief are biblical emotions. I fully believe uh, we get to and we have to process them and not repress them. But I think if we understood what God was doing in and through the things that sadden us, we would view them differently. Uh, like the old saying that our disappointments are God's appointments. Uh, and that is true here of Jesus' departure. Uh, and now Jesus is about to tell us why we need this, uh, this ministry of the Spirit. And he actually describes two of the Spirit's ministries. Uh, first, the ministry to the world in verses 8 to 11, and then the ministry to the disciples in 12 and following. So let's start with the ministry to the world, uh, which according to um, verse 8 is to convict the world, uh, to expose the world, and to convict here does not mean to secure a guilty verdict because the goal is actually the opposite. Uh, it's to bring people to see their perilous condition and to cry out for mercy. Uh, the Spirit goes before the church to bring the world under conviction with respect to three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, these, these sets of verses are super terse, and there's a lot of debate about what those terms actually mean in context, but uh, I think we could say a couple of things to get the broad sense of it. One, the Spirit convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in me. So from Genesis on, the Bible's teaching is that the root of sin is unbelief. And here it is the failure of the world to respond in faith to the coming of God in the person of Jesus. Uh, and I want to note here that convicting the world of sin is the Spirit's work. It is not our work. As if it is our job to go around pointing out uh, everywhere the world is going wrong. And you can find Christians like that. Uh, and yet Jesus' point is not that. It is that there's something about disciples that through them the Spirit will do his convicting work as he dwells in us. And so I want to make sure that we understand that right. Because when the Spirit convicts the world of sin through Christians, I don't believe that that means it's our job to go out and tell everyone what they're doing wrong. And I actually appreciated the comment here by Tom Wright who said that in the first few centuries... The watching world just couldn't figure out what Christians were about. Uh, they didn't cheat in business. They didn't cheat on their spouses. They didn't take advantage of their neighbors. They took care, they took care of the poor, the weak, the marginalized. And this behavior was incomprehensible 
to the world because the ancient world, like ours, had standards of right and wrong and what was acceptable and what wasn't that Christians did not conform to because they were out of sync with God's own standards. And it was the behavior of Christians, not the judgments of Christians, that convicted the world of sin and exposed the values of the world. Christians showed the world that the way to be fully human started with believing in Jesus, and the world didn't go along with that. And I think the Spirit convicts the world uh, the same way today. Uh, I think if we trusted the Spirit to convict the world of sin as we live transformed lives, rather than believing that the church has to tell the world exactly what it's doing wrong, uh, then the reputation of the church today would be better off. Uh, the work of conviction is the exclusive work of the Holy Spirit. Our job uh, is to live the lives that Jesus calls us to live. Uh, and just like the Spirit convicts the world about its sin, the Spirit also convicts the world about righteousness, about the world's lack of righteousness, and about Jesus' too, uh, true righteousness. Uh, or if I could put it in Bible speak, or non-Bible speak, excuse me, the Spirit proves who is right and who is wrong. Uh, according to the world's understanding of righteousness, Jesus was found to be wrong. Uh, the crucifixion was a travesty of justice. Uh, Christians of all people should understand that the courts of this world get things wrong because they did with Jesus. And that the judgments of those in power are not always righteous because they weren't with Jesus. Uh, but in the higher tribunal of the Father, Jesus was found to be in the right uh, and the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and uh, Jesus is going back to the Father, and the Spirit shows us who is in the right, uh, exposing the world's righteousness for what it is, and pointing to another kind of righteousness. Uh, and the Spirit also convicts the world about judgment. It shows us who has won, uh, and what the Spirit uh, is showing is that in condemning Jesus, the ruler of this world, stands condemned. I think the point of these verses, we could dive into these and get lost, and maybe I already have. Uh, the point of these verses is simply to foster a quiet confidence in the heart of the believer about the Spirit's work. Uh, we look at the world and we think the world can't discern sin. The world can't discern righteousness. The world can't discern judgment. Uh, how, how can we ever penetrate the, the veil, the curtain, the barrier of darkness and unbelief? And the answer is, the Holy Spirit is the way that Christ does his work in the world. And that's why Jesus says, it is good for me to leave. Uh, that sentence does not make any sense at all. It is good for me to leave, unless... The work of the Holy Spirit is crucial to what Jesus wants to do in the world through his disciples. Uh, their work cannot go forward until this happens. And Jesus is setting before the disciples that if his work is going to happen, it happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let's talk about this, 
the Spirit's ministry to believers in verses 12 to 15, uh, briefly. Uh, Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, said every preacher ever at the end of his sermon. Uh, So let me just note two things about the Spirit's ministry to believers. Uh, And I think the Spirit's ministry to believers is really Jesus' main concern here. Uh, Note back in verse 7, he says, I will send the helper to you. The Spirit is sent to convict the world, but the Spirit is not sent to the world. The Spirit is sent to the disciples. Uh, And as Jesus sends the Spirit to disciples, it is to do two things. Uh, The first in verse 13 That when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Uh, Which does not mean that Christians know the truth about everything all the time. Uh, We're living in a time when it's clear uh, that Christians have been increasingly unable to discern the truth from error. Uh, And with humility, uh, we should take seriously that we are all capable uh, uh, or liable to spiritual blindness Uh, And we should also take Paul's words seriously. We know in part, and we see in part. We don't actually know everything. Uh, All the truth here simply means all the truth about Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Whenever we come to a deeper understanding of the truth about who Jesus is, whenever we come to a deeper understanding of the truth of how we are to follow Jesus, serve Jesus, speak uh, in Jesus' name. That is the ministry of the Spirit to us. So the Spirit will guide us into all truth, and then the ministry of the Spirit to us is to glorify Jesus. Verse 14, He will glorify me. Uh, which is the most compact statement that you will find of the ministry of the Spirit. Uh, it is what J.I. Packer calls, and I thought this was great. I couldn't find anything better from it, you know, which is often the way that it works with Packer. Um, Packer calls it the Spirit's floodlight ministry. So if you think about a floodlight, you know, the floodlight is the thing that you place in the ground to shine on something else. You don't see the floodlight. You only see the thing that it is illuminating. It's placed so that instead of seeing it, you see the object upon which it is shining. Uh, And that is the ministry of the Spirit. Let me just read a sentence from Packer here. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always... Look at him, see his glory, listen to him, hear his word, go to him and have life, get to know him, and taste his gift of joy and peace. Uh, So the Spirit is self-effacing. The Spirit directs our attention not to himself, but to Jesus Christ. And that should be our lives as well. Uh, That is the Spirit's work 
in our lives. And if you have ever been around that person who is self-effacing and Christ-focused, you know you are in the presence of someone in whom the Spirit is working and exercising that ministry. Uh, This also means, by the way, uh, it's not the people who talk the most about the Holy Spirit who have the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's the people who are talking the most about Jesus. Uh, The Spirit shines the spotlight on Jesus. It's not that we can never talk about the Holy Spirit. It's not that we can't theologize about the Holy Spirit or talk about how to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, But when the Spirit is working, He is in the business of exalting and lifting up Jesus and not His own person and work. Uh, Let me just wrap this up with a simple point. This was a hard passage, um, and so let me just wrap it up with one reflection and encouragement. Uh, Wherever the work of Christ is happening, in the world or in his people, that is the work of the Spirit. Wherever the work of Christ is happening, in the world or in his people, that's the work of the Spirit. So, what does that mean? It means we should nurture the work of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, The Bible says that by sinful attitudes and actions, we can grieve the Spirit, Ephesians 4. Uh, We can quench the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, or by humility, grace, dependence, and obedience, we can walk in step with the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, And we can become people who are walking in a way that the Spirit can exercise His ministries to the world and to other disciples through us. And uh, that is our desire. And so let's pray that God, by the Spirit, would do that work in us as He points us to the Son. Let's pray.